sound body, sound mind is uh, <laughs> the rule of life. I can't, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not that great of a person if I don't get my daily dose of exercise or two or three doses of it. You know, I, I, I just love it. More than anything, it's outside. And I think a lot of that comes from spending the first half of my life in a swimming pool looking at a black line. And then I got a taste of being outside and that was amazing in itself. But then once I stopped racing and got a real taste of the outside, mean, meaning I got to take it in when I go out instead of thinking about the run that's after this six hour bike ride or how I got to recover and you know fuel myself to get ready for tomorrow. Now it's, I go out with a camera in my backpack and no plan and all I'm doing is looking around at everything that's around me. And I think that's why I'm, I'm thriving in the mountains and I I can't stand to sit around inside. If, you know, if it's good or bad weather out, once the sun's up, I'm up. I don't, I haven't, I haven't missed a sunrise in probably, you know, five or six years at least. Um, I just, I I don't want to miss the daylight. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. We are waking up and shaking up the world of endurance sports by shining a light on the depth of meaning behind the lives of our guests and sharing stories of purpose. This life is a rich itinerary, and there are no mistakes. If we pay close attention, I think you'll see that we are never off our path. Today, we share the mic with one of the most accomplished American triathletes in history, Tim DeBoom. USAT, an Ironman Hall of Famer, is the last American to win an Ironman World Championship title. His back-to-back wins in 2001 and 2002 took us all to new heights of what may be possible. An athlete his entire life, Tim's professional career spanned from 1995 through 2012, from the age of 24 to his final season of racing at the age of 40. If you're a regular listener, then you know Tim's wife, Nicole. And if you follow Nicole, then perhaps you received her newsletter in late January entitled, So There's This Guy. Well, we got that newsletter, and we are so excited to hear, as Nicole wrote, that Tim was emerging from his cocoon and putting himself out there into the world. As we read on, we learned that Tim is pulling back the curtain and sharing the things that assisted him in being the best in the world. From his two Ironman triathlon world championships to a happy, extremely fit 50-year-old, Tim is sharing his tried and true tenets of what he calls a dedicated life. We're fired up to dive in and see where this conversation takes us. Tim DeBoom, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Excited. Yeah, so let's dive in. Like, what is what is a dedicated life? And I guess specifically for this question is like, when was this idea, this project, this newsletter, and whatever it may become, when was this born and um, and sparked sparked your inspiration to bring it into fruition? Well, I, I used to write a column for Triathlete Magazine and for Inside uh, Triathlon Magazine, both um, over for like two or three years uh, near the end of my career, and I and I really enjoyed that. I was able to share some of. Uh, myself, which I'm not really uh, <laughs> known for doing. I'm pretty quiet usually. Um, but it was fun to share it. And so I've always uh, enjoyed writing. And I enjoyed it throughout my whole life. Even in college, I enjoyed writing. Um, but to, uh, you know, with the magazine a column, it was directed mostly towards triathlon. 
and that was kind of the subject base. And now, um, you know, I've just, uh, I, I was on Instagram. It's the only social media I've ever done. And I started it for myself to just kind of keep a photo journal of everything that I was doing now in my life. And, uh, that grew and grew and people seemed to like what I was putting out there. And so, um, you know, it was, we got to steamboat. I was kind of getting antsy to do something and I had continued to write, uh, just for myself over the years, journaling and stuff like that. And, uh, so I thought it was time to kind of maybe just start a little newsletter or a blog and put it out there and see what the response would be. Um, but a dedicated life is, it really kind of defines who I am and it starts, it's, it's morphed over the years for sure from, from athlete to now. Um, in high school, my high school swim team had all these awards at the end of the season and they had, you know, best performance and, you know, top athlete. And then there was the most dedicated athlete award. And that's the only one I ever cared about because it, you know, it was that I worked the hardest. I tried the hardest. I was dedicated to being my best, you know, on the team and as an individual swimmer. Um, so that was where kind of the idea came from after that. I knew that if I dedicated myself to whatever I was doing, um, it would probably pay off. And so now a dedicated life is just, uh, it's more towards being the best person I, I can be, which is a father, a husband, a 50-year-old athlete, and just a lover of being outside. What has the, um, what's the reception been so far? I think you put out, what, three or four? Uh, I think I just did my Fifth, maybe. Or fifth one. And, uh, you know, the, the reception's <laughs> been amazing. Because um, I've, I've put myself out there in the fact that I actually put my own email in there and letting interacting with people. And that's kind of what I wanted, was just to share and, and honestly, like, even help some people. You know, put some, I mean, I've had, I've, I've, I'm an experimentation of one with myself, but it, it seems to be working with a lot of, I feel healthier now than I did the last few years I was racing for sure. Um, mentally, physically, all the way around, I feel like a better person. And um, a lot of it's just basic stuff that maybe people don't think about. So I, you know, I, I throw that stuff in along with the stories that I'm telling in these, in these emails. I'm, uh, you know, I'm putting just some basic information of what I do day to day. And um, yeah, like this last weekend was the oolong tea one. I put a recommendation that I drink a couple cups of oolong tea every day, and I've had about 15, 20 people say, hey, I've already gone out and got my oolong tea. <laughs> so, um, you know, I look at that as the positives. More people drink tea, it's probably better. Well, and, and I love the well-roundedness of it because, you know, it's, it's life, right? It's not just... It's not just one thing. Like there's, it's a whole symphony. Uh, life is a whole symphony of departments that we can fine tune and we can tweak to, you know, to be our best. And whether that's what we're putting into our body, what we're indulging in our mind, um, how we're spending our time, putting the phone down, picking the phone up, you know, just living with more awareness. And in one of the newsletters, you talked about how you've read a lot about like um, the Tao, uh, Buddhism, and, you know, mindful, enlightened messages. And uh, how are those things informing your your day-to-day life? You know, those have been an interest of mine for a very long time, and I've always read a, a lot about that. I remember even, like, in college, I bought my mom a, a, 
a Buddhism book, hoping that she would read it. <laughs> and and she, I don't think she ever did. I don't think she, but um, it's always uh, been ah, just in the back of my mind more than in the forefront. And now it's it's become very important to me on a daily basis. I start my mornings uh, with certain readings and things like that. And I mean, for the most part, uh, you know, I try and live by those three philosophies, basically, of compassion, moderation, and humility. And um, when I was racing, that wasn't always easy to do. And now it's it's much easier. I mean, it's it's basically a way of life. And uh, I, you know, having again having my my daughter and my wife, um, trying to pass that to them as well. Uh, my daughter, especially, just I mean, she's the most empathic little girl that I've ever met, and. Mm. Um, so I don't think I have much work to do there. I think she's <laughs> gonna, gonna teach me more than I could ever pass to her. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you're a part of her, right? Like you, you yeah, are. Yeah, she seems to be a little more of Nicole than me, but, <laughs> 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 but, um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, you know, I get a lot of time with her myself and, and those are such special times. There's a huge dynamic difference when she's with Nicole alone or when she's with me alone or when she's with us together. She's. She uh, is so smart and bright that, you know, she plays to the situation. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, the yogis say use everything to your advantage. So, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like she's getting skillful at that. And I know you guys went traveled to Hawaii in 2019 when you got uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, Ironman Hall of Fame. And I'm curious to know, like, what it was like to experience the island through Wilder's eyes. You know, through Wilder's experience, and that's your daughter, Wilder. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, that was my whole reason for going. Uh, that was actually like, it really wasn't, I mean, getting honored and, and joining the Hall of Fame was amazing, but to, I hadn't ever gone and watched the race. Um, even the years I had gone after racing, I would leave the island before the race. I am not a good spectator. It just brings back too much emotion for me. And, mm-hmm. but this gave me a reason to show her a little of what I'd. I did as a, as a, she's always asking dad, what, what do you do? <laughs> what did you do? You know, I know what mom did and she, you know, she sold clothes and, you know, has a podcast and she's like, what do you do dad? Cause you know, it's, it's different. So it was fun to show her, um, just that aspect of, of the event. And then a place where I've spent so much of my life and given so much of my life, not only to the big Island, but to Maui and, and things like that. And, um, so that is the way I went into that trip for sure. It was amazing. I mean, I got off the plane, you know, and it was night. We got there in the evening and, you know, I just yeah. I got a lay for her and put it around her neck and, you know, greeted her with the traditional ways. And it was, uh, the entire trip was very special. She has, <laughs> since the moment we left, she's asking to go back and go back. And we probably would have already, except for, you know, with everything going on in the world. So, um, you know, I think being in Steamboat now, more people take that annual warm warm weather trip every winter. And so that'll probably become part of our life. Uh, you know, I know Nicole and Wilder both have uh, a dream of living in a tropical environment at some point for a longer time. It's not quite there for me yet. 
Yeah, you got it. And I know you're getting a lot out of your system by really playing in the playground that is Steamboat. Um, we're very familiar with that area and it's just, it's so amazing. And I know you're doing like a lot of um, backcountry stuff or, um, you know, always staying fit. And perhaps this is where we segue now into this idea of, you know, always having this level of, of fitness. Um, that for so long it was your job, like it was... Um, it was a requirement of what you did, and now it's your way of life. Is there, is there more ease about staying as fit as you are? Because you're pretty dang fit. Um, now that it's just a part of your dedicated life. It is, and I mean, my body has been that. I mean, I used to dream in high school as a swimmer and be like, wouldn't it just be great to train all day? You know, I mean, and that was... And that's kind of what I morphed into as a triathlete. It was much more about the training than the racing. I actually don't consider myself a love of competition. You know, it, it wasn't, I, I didn't actually like the competition. I, I think I excelled at it and I could harness what I needed to get out of those competitions. But um, once Wilder was born, that's kind of when I stopped racing and I haven't, I lost that competitive drive for, or maybe I shot all my bullets. Sometimes that's what I like to say it. I'm just out of ammunition for that kind of thing. But, um, my body, it, it, for me, uh, sound body, sound mind is, uh, <laughs> the rule of life. I can't, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not that great of a person if I don't get my daily dose of exercise or two or three doses of it. Um, you know, I, I, I just love being, more than anything. It's outside, and I think a lot of that comes from spending the first half of my life in a swimming pool, looking at a black line, and then I got a taste of being outside, and that was amazing in itself. But then once I stopped racing and got a real taste of the outside, mean meaning I got to take it in when I go out instead of thinking about the run that's after this six-hour bike ride or how I got to recover and, you know, fuel myself to get ready for tomorrow. Now it's, I go out with a camera in my backpack and no plan. And all I'm doing is looking around at everything that's around me. And I think that's why I'm, I'm thriving in the mountains and, um, I, I can't stand to sit around inside if, you know, if it's good or bad weather out, once the sun's up, I'm up. I don't, I haven't, I haven't missed a sunrise in probably, you know, five or six years at least. Um, I just, I, I don't want to miss the daylight. And half the time I'm out in the dark anyway. So um, it, Nicole likes to say that I just, I need to be moving. Um, you know, it's like if I get home and I, there's a couple hours of daylight left and we got nothing to do, I'm like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go skate ski for a little while. It's, it's nice out there. And so it's, I just, I need to keep moving. And being outside, uh, I thrive out there. I, I just, I love that you're... Uh... You're playing the long, long game, right? The the long term game of the joy and and um, freedom you get from training and the fitness and racing kind of just came as a part of that. And you know, I, I can so relate to just moving the body. Um, and I think for me, it's been because of those moments when I wasn't able to move the body. You know, whether it was injury or or whatever came up, and and I had an appreciation for it. Is there? something in your life, in your past, or um, something that sparked this to continually move? Or is it, do you feel it's just part of your, your nature, innate nature? You know, I think it, it is part of my innate nature. Um, I, I think as a kid, you know, I had three brothers, and we were just always outside, always running around. 
um, you know, parents wouldn't let us sit around inside that office. You know, I think we drove our parents nuts. It was four boys in the house and, you know, and and, and end up fighting something like that. So it was like, get out of the house, (laughs) get out, go mow the lawn, even mowing lawns. You know, it's like, I didn't enjoy it at the time, but I look at it now and I'm like, ah, that was, you know, I'd go swim practice in the morning, mow lawns till noon, have another swim practice, mow lawns all afternoon, go to another swim practice. You know, it was just nonstop. And for, I, you know, I, I, I'm the first to say I'm, you know, my body's probably addicted to the exercise. Like it's been doing it since I was a child and I haven't been able to stop. It's, you know, it's changed now. It's not as intense and it's, it's more, uh, being one with, with the nature and stuff like that. And, um, and sharing it with other people now is, is more important. I still have, you know, solo most of the time, but now I get out with other people and it's, uh, but it's people like me who are out there you know, hey, let's slow this down a little bit and enjoy what we're doing instead of crushing to the next peak or something like that. And um, there's so much more reward now with what I'm doing, um, mentally and physically. Like half the time I'm climbing a mountain and, you know, if you're skiing down or mountain biking down, it's, you know, you're hooting and hollering the whole way. It's amazing. So you're you're earning this, uh, this, this pure, you know, childlike joy every time I'm outside. It's so interesting. I want to dig into that, what you just said. I think it's really powerful. Like what you're doing now is more rewarding because we can, a lot of times, you know, we look on paper, we can, you know, we've been following triathlon for a long time. You know, we were uh, following it when you had your back-to-back wins and somebody would look and say, well, like, what do you mean? Like hooting and hollering and taking time to take pictures, like that's more rewarding. How, what can be more rewarding than being the world champion? And do you think it was a, it, was it pressure? Was it perfection? Was it, um, what was it that was, that you feel now is different in those rewards? I was very hard on myself as an athlete. I did not, I wasn't satisfied with anything. Um, you know, I, the year I got second, I crossed the finish line really mad, you know, like, and it, it fueled me for an entire year, you know, and then I come back and I win the thing and I crossed the finish line and my, my mom was the first one to hug me. And then my, my manager slash agent, who was also my best friend at the time was there to hug me. And he reminds me today that the first thing I said was next year, we really crush them. You know, that was at the finish line of my first win where I should have been in that moment and overjoyed. And I was already thinking of the next, the next race, the next year. I couldn't let myself sit on that and enjoy it. And it, I mean, it's taken till like now to look back on that and be like, that was awesome. But I wish I would have, you know, been in that moment more. And, you know, and who knows, maybe it would have, you know, I wouldn't have won a second one. And, you know, but, uh, now <laughs> I, I am in the moment every, every day, everything I'm doing, that is one of, you know, the thing is like, be in the moment, don't get out of this moment, stay here. I mean, I, if I find myself thinking, worrying about anything that's coming up or the future, I just like, nope, find your center again, get outside, do something. And, um, you know, I try not to think of the past or the future right now. I'm just being in the moment because it's just, there's no other way to live. I mean, if you're constantly worrying or, you know, living in the past, uh, it just doesn't do you any good. And so, um, Nicole's been really good with me about that. And, and, you know, just once I was done racing, it was very easy to adapt to this lifestyle and just be like, Hey, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. 
Um, my past, you know, newsletter this weekend was like, what's the worst that can happen? And I, I, I truly live my life that way. It's like, we build things up in our head to, to be so bad. And it's never, it never turns out that way. Even if it's a bad result, it's never as bad as what you make it out to be. So if you just stay in the moment and enjoy it, it's, uh, it makes life a lot more enjoyable. Uh, this, this, that's, that's, uh, everything that we try to share with our community is to to come back to what's happening now, which is you know truly living life. Um, how do you come back to center? Like how how is it? Um, and I don't know if you can describe it because it's sort of an intangible thing, and everybody's got their own pathway to it. But how do you feel you come back to the appreciation of you know the turns you're making on the slopes or the moment right now? Well. I mean, when, when I'm outside and especially where I live, it's impossible not to be in the moment. It, it, and, and so if I'm inside and I'm even having a hint of frustration or something, it's so easy just to step outside and just be like, all right, look where I'm at. Look what I'm doing. And, or I look at my daughter and the beauty of her and what, you know, she's just so innocent and fun. And, you know, it just, it's so grounding and, I mean, when I'm out and if I'm skiing down a slope, it doesn't matter if it's crappy snow or good snow or, you know, it just doesn't matter. You find the fun in all of it. I mean, I, two days ago, I was, I met this guy. I was, I was at the top of a mountain and I ran into a friend, <laughs> you know, it's, ironically, I was up there. Hey, Andy, how you doing? And, you know, it was dumping snow. There was a foot of fresh powder on the ground and we just kind of looked at each other. It was like, wow, which way you want to go down? And I mean, we both got to the bottom and we're like, I don't know if we can top that one. And, you know, it's just, you get in those moments and that can fuel you. I mean, you have a moment like that and that can fuel you for, you know, six months if it has to. But, you know, it just made me, I can't wait to go get the next run. And, uh, you know, to be in the moment now, like, I, it's so easy compared to when I was racing because I would have been thinking about, oh, how's, you know, what's my next workout? What do I got to do? And now... uh you know, I just don't, <laughs> I don't live anything like that. It's, uh, Hey, what do, I wonder what I'll do tomorrow. How can I top this? And, uh, so it's, um, you know, it's, it's, I'll say the past 10 years have been better than any years I've ever had for sure. Mm. And when you were racing, you had a bit of, um, a, you know, a rivalry, but I know that you guys also used to like train together too, sometimes with Pete Reed. And, um, I remember, remember when we, we were at Vine Man. Do you remember the whole mono Oh, mono the mono thing? Mono. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were there for that. Yeah. We, we were there for That's that. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell, tell our listeners what the, cause there was like, well, I mean, we were like hyped up about that, you know, like mono mono they're going for it. Yeah. Um, we, they, uh, they didn't have a pro like race, but our, one of our sponsors was the, you know, the Tri Dubai had set up right. this. Oh my gosh. I remember the, uh, that. They're like, hey, and Pete and I both needed a race <laughs> to get, kind of get ourselves going. So we're like, yeah, we'll go race. And we thought it was going to be kind of like one of those uh, exhibition, and they, we called it like an exhibition race, and that neither of us were going to kind of take it that seriously. And um, <laughs> it turned out to be a little bit of a slugfest. Um, and you know, it, but and it was it was it was great. It was a lot of fun. It was one of those unique events that I can look back and be uh, you know proud to be a part of. Um, but yeah, Pete is, he's, he's, I don't get to see him or talk to him much, but I consider him one of my closest friends. And we always, you know, there was that short time when we were battling out to win Kona and he was struggling, you know, in his side. And then I was struggling on my side. And 
you know, we were always there for each other. It was like, if I wasn't going to win, I was, I was hoping Pete won. And I think he felt the same way. And so those years that we went first and second and, you know, and, and traded off a little bit are really special to me. I mean, I, I still, like his son, you know, comes and plays with my daughter, you know, they, they've hung out together. And, um, you know, now that we live in Steamboat, Pete's like, we're coming, you know, <laughs> and, and he lives in a great place up in Canada. So we stay in touch and, um, you know, he, we had so many similarities, uh, that it, you know, it, he met, we, our, our first training session was right after my dad passed away and he called and just, just to say, Hey, that, sorry to hear about your dad. And, you know, after that, we just stayed connected. And, um, that, that summer after that, we trained together for like six, six weeks in Boulder and he went off and won his first Kona after that. So mm. that kind of was the, the starting block of it. Didn't you guys used to do like a, isn't it weird that I know these things about you? Um, but didn't you guys used to do some crazy like out and back 175 mile? Yeah, the Wiggins bike? ride. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I do know <laughs> yeah. this. What is that? Yeah. What was the Wiggins ride? Uh, Highway 52 in Boulder. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It goes okay. out. It's a one, just one road. It goes all the way out to Wiggins and all the way back. And I honestly, now I can't believe we used to do it because it's so dangerous. I mean, we did it and it was just this two lane road that went all the way out to Wiggins and it was literally like 85 miles out, 87 miles out, something like that. And you hit the gas station in Wiggins, turned around and came back. Um, now you, God, you couldn't pay me to ride that road. I don't know if guys are still doing that ride. Pete and I kind of had heard one legend that like Scott Molina and, and Kenny Souza had done it. And then that's why we kind of went out and did it a couple times. And um, now I think there's quite a few guys that have done it. Yeah, well, back then there was, there was nothing out there. No, it was almost scary. Like I, I kept doing it even after I wasn't training with Pete and I did it by myself. And I'd be out there, you know, I'd leave before the sun came up basically and I'd kind of be riding and occasionally I'd have a, a, one headphone in and I'd be listening to like the Howard Stern show as I rode out to Wiggins. And I was like, well, that'll keep me company on the way out and then I can have some music on the way back. But, you know, that it's a brilliant ride because you have to make it to the turnaround. I mean, you can turn around anytime, but the mental game is to make it to the turnaround to that gas station. Cause you know, if you could turn around and, and still get in 120, 130 mile ride, but to make it all the way, that was the, the hardest part of it was making it to the turnaround, um, just mentally more than anything else. But it was such a great, uh, training day for Kona cause you could fit in an eight hour day, um, with, you know, nine tenths of it on the bike. And then you just get off and do a little run afterwards. It sounds like the, um, and I don't know if you ever rode out here, but the Palomar or Henshaw loop. Um, yeah, I did. I've done that ride. Yeah. Pete and I did that ride. We used to come out and do a couple week training block before Christmas so we could enjoy Christmas. We'd come right before Christmas and we'd ride four or five, six hours a day for a couple weeks. Yeah, we've started to integrate that into my training, and to to your point, it's such a legit ride. Like you gotta you gotta make it, and you can bypass Palomar, but there's something about going that far. You gotta go up up and down. You gotta go up and down and around, (laughs) Um, and it's it can be brutal early on, but once you get used to it, with everything else, it just becomes just part of it. Is the Um, traffic still get? Is it getting worse and worse on that one? You know, the traffic is 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 pretty brutal going up that first climb, which is actually paved yeah. um, into oh, wow. Ramona. Yeah, it's beautiful, yeah. beautiful road. But um, then it's still desolate way out there. Palomar is pretty desolate um, for the most part, but Valley Center is pretty steamy. I just remember the bakery. What's the bakery out there? Oh, yeah. Um, the so, pie shop. The pie shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah the pie that? shop. What is it? 
Well, that was our mandatory stop. Yeah, I we wanted to say it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what I remember more than anything is the bakery. Julian, Julian Pie. Ju- oh yeah, it's Julian, Julian Pies. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's right. definitely a stop. It's halfway around, but um, but yeah, it was just it's just invigorating to get in those sessions and 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 feel like for me, I just feel alive when I complete something like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I still have those those big days that, but they're just different now. But it's like you know, I'll have Nicole drop me off somewhere, and I'll you know. 40 miles from home on my feet and I'm just with a pack and I'm like, a, you know, in my water filter and I'll say, I'll see you later. <laughs> and I come rolling up, you know, before the sun sets and it's been a great day. So when you're out there, you're like, you know, in, you know, back country and you've got your water filter and you get your backpack and, um, you know, there's that, there's that degree of like riding the edge, right? Like, is you got to scare yourself sometimes. Yeah. I, mean, I don't ever put myself really in in dangerous situations. I feel pretty skilled that I'm not putting myself in danger, but there's a degree of I'm really out here. You know, I mean, I literally you're out there and uh, you know, in the winter you're really out there sometimes and um but in the summer, you know, you can be 20 30 miles from the next road kind of in the middle of these mountain ranges and um, I've gotten kind of used to it where I really thrive out there, but the first few times I was like, Whoa, how am I going to, you know, this is a long one out here. And the first time you use that water filter in a stream, you don't know, you're like, well, see how I wake up in the morning and you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, there is definitely something to being, uh, alive out there. Um, I had a, a friend who there was a term she used the benighted, which is being out overnight unexpectedly. <laughs> and so mm. it's that benighted. Um, and so once you have that happen, it's everything seems a little easier. Have you had that happen? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit? <laughs> what is yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I had it early on when I was on my bike one time, um, kind of got lost and, you know, 11 o'clock at night or so making it back home. Um, uh, but now we kind of plan it. Like if I'm going to do an overnight, uh, kind of a, a run where you start later in the day, and then you finish the next morning and stuff like that. Lots of headlamps. How does Nicole relate to these adventures? I mean, you guys have been together for so long. But how does she relate to these adventures like with, you know, your role now as a father? Um, is, has, that, has it shifted or changed from how she's relating to you from your perspective? You know, she doesn't have the same... She's very adventurous. Mm-hmm. She doesn't crave the same, like, getting out there, getting lost, and being out all day. But, like, she's the first one to say, hey, let's, let's go down this, you know, this chute of, you know, trees over here, or skiing, or let's try this on the mountain bike. And um, even if it's a little bit above her skill level, she's the first one to say, let's do it. So, I mean, I could be out doing something, and I'll be like, well, Nicole will do this. Let's just, I'm going to go do this. <laughs> you know, Nicole will be like, let's go here. Okay, I'll go here. Um, but she doesn't, I don't think she worries, um, you know, about, about me. I think she sees how dedicated I am to Wilder, our daughter, and that I want to be around to, to help raise her for the rest of our lives. And I don't want that to end prematurely. So I'm not out there taking risks um, that aren't uh, calculated. And, you know, I feel, I, I won't put myself in danger I mean, I've, I've, there's always mishaps and there's always things that can go wrong, but um, 
I'm, I'm conservative in my endeavors. Yeah, and worry is, uh, it's praying for exactly what you don't want to have happen, happen. Yep. So it's, yep. that's such a gift because to have that, to have that energy of worry or fear is, doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't, it doesn't serve anyone. Instead of saying be safe, she just always says have fun. You know, have fun out there. And she knows that that's the most important thing I can hear because that's what I'm going out there for is to have fun. Yeah. I think almost living the way that you do with a, a, you know, sort of a closed network or you have so far because you enjoy being with yourself, you've sort of, you've sort of alienated yourself from that stuff of the people being like, you're going to go out, you just moved to Steamboat and you're going to go out there and, and do something like this. So you're, you're almost removing that, um, uh, their fears, right? Putting their fears onto you. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, you know, I've, I'm definitely reaching out here in Steamboat because, you know, not knowing everything and um, getting to know some of the local guys who are doing some things that, that I do and I just need to learn where they're going. Um, I scouted a lot in the summertime, but everything's different in the wintertime. So um, be, being my first full winter up here, you have to be a little more cautious. Luckily, it's a, I mean, it's a low snow year, so there's not much, you know, danger out there around here. Yeah, but I would assume you've got some, like, legit resources. Like, people up there are, you know, they're venturing yeah, out. You're not the only one. Like, you've got some good no, resources. I think, you know, now it's like, oh, God, do I got to get a snowmobile? And uh, <laughs> it's like everybody around me has sleds. And I'm like, well, I guess that's added to the list. Snowmobile before snowblower. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's all about that. And Nicole's good about that. She's like, look. Everybody wears the same clothes up here every day because we we spend it all on toys. Right. Yeah. So that's good. Um, Have fun. And, yeah. and that's something that living in Boulder taught us. Like it, it I mean, it, that was such a new uh, concept to me. It was like it doesn't matter what you do, just love your life. Like live the life yeah. that you want. And that was that was such a shocker and, and certainly something that I was meant to hear because that's what felt so right for me. It's just live the life that you that you love. Um, let's talk a little bit about a little bit more about fitness and stuff. So, do you have some like core things that are like your go tos? I know you used to have the thousand sit up situation <laughs> yeah. that you, which really seems like a lot. I mean, I can yeah, barely. That was, uh, yeah, that, that, that lasted a long time. That was decades, <laughs> um, and it, it went up above a thousand occasionally, you know. But um, yeah, uh, I I do some kind of strength work every day. Um, you know, as I've, as I've gotten older here, I was, I mean, we started strength work when I was, uh, you know, seriously, when I was in high school, when I was a high school swimmer, we, uh, you know, three times a week, 5am, every swimmer was in the weight room, you know, slamming weights around. And that's what kind of taught me how important it was from a strength and performance point of view. And then as I got into triathlon, it became strength and performance plus body management, like injury management, that kind of thing. I knew that all your, you know, when you're moving forward, which triathlon is totally linear, you're just, it's always forward motion. And once those big muscles give out, it's the little muscles that take over. So I was, you know, lifting and doing strength work to have those little muscles ready to go when the big muscles got too tired. So, um, and I, I did a lot of lateral work and, and balance work. And um, that's what I do mostly now. I do, I, I do some heavy strength work, but, um, not as much as I do balance work, one-legged stuff. And um, I just think as I get older, that that's 
the most vital stuff. Um, that's more important for my physical health than the stuff I'm doing outside. Mental health, it's the stuff outside, but like physical health, being in the in the home gym here is is probably the most important thing. So, the, yeah, that's that's something that I mean. If I'm on the road, I travel with stuff that I can get my strength work in. What do you travel with? What are your What are your go to? Oh, I've got some bands, like all different weight bands and stuff like that, and that that's pretty much all I need. Other than that, um, I'm waiting for somebody to make a uh, you know portable pull up bar. You can put on any wall or something like that to take with me because pull-ups are like another huge thing in my life. <laughs> Almost uh, to, a, to a detriment. It's become my sit-ups, let's put it that way. <laughs> the you know, I, uh, I know a woman who knows how to develop a whole product line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might too. Yeah. Maybe you're supposed to come up with it. I don't know. I mean, I, I do travel with these little like, uh, um, it's like a, mini hangboard things that you can attach to little things so I can I can get my pull-ups in most where I, most places where I'm at but um yeah it's uh you know fitness on the road it's one of those things I'm I'm dedicated to and you said I think you I can't remember where it was but you you were saying you would almost skip a run or whatever or extra minutes on a run to get in your your strength work um yeah and I I I do believe that um I still, I need to get outside every day, no matter what, for my mental health. But um, the strength work is, and it, it's just, it's so, I don't want to be that, that elderly man who can't, you know, stand up without wobbling. And, you know, I want to, I get up and down off the floor a hundred times a day because I think it's healthy. I go up and down the stairs as much as possible. And, you know, I stand, I brush my teeth on one leg. So I'm, you know, balancing it's with my eyes closed. You know, if you can't do that, I, you know, it's, I, I just, I think that stuff's so important. My mom, both my parents passed away and my mom was so frail when, when she, before she even got sick that I just, it, I think that traumatized me to the point where like, I am not going to get frail. I am going to be strong and resilient and I'm going to be able to balance on, I'm going to be able to go surfing and skiing and do everything I want to do till I'm a hundred years old. And so that is, you know, that's why I do this every day is, you know, and I, I, it's like, if I miss a day of balance, I'm like, Oh God, is it all going to go away? <laughs> you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta keep working on that stuff and, and make it harder and harder. So, you know, you can balance, you know, doing anything. I think that's, okay. I think it's, it's, I'm so glad you're sharing this, Tim, and and part of the dedicated life because I feel what what we come up with a, a lot, and, and I know you do a little bit of coaching. Is like the the athletes that um, like they need the perfect uh, membership plan, or they need the um, they need to they can't, they travel too much, they can't hit their gym in the basement on a regular schedule, and they come up with these I would say um, opportunities that challenge their entryway into just starting very small you know so how yeah how do you how do you meet how do you meet people with that besides sharing your story because i think that's going to be super powerful is this is what you're I'm doing pretty, right now i'm pretty blunt with people like <laughs> okay. there, there's no excuse for not there's no excuse for not exercising yeah i don't care if you say you don't have time you got 12 kids you don't have a free minute you got free minutes you know or you give something up um i mean exercise is proven to you know make your life better, not only healthier, but just better. I mean, you're a better person when you exercise. It's, and 
you know, I, I lots of my best friends, some of them are like, ah, you know, I, I hound them like, hey, you getting your workouts in? And, you know, they have these lofty goals of doing something. And then they call me up for some kind of training plan. I'm like, all right, get out there. I was like, are you doing push-ups right now? You should be doing push-ups right now while you're talking to me. And, you know, they're laughing, but I'm, I'm serious. I'm like, it starts now. You know, it's, it's like, it's not that hard. I mean, get out of bed, do 10 push-ups, start your day that way. At least it sets you off on the right foot. It might lead to more, but um, yeah, I don't have much sympathy for people who say they don't have time because you make time for the important things in your life. And I think, you know, if you walk around outside and see how many people are looking with their necks down, looking at their phones, I'm like, it's just such a waste of time. And I mean, that's going to lead to so many neck problems, by the way. It's like, but, uh, you know, I just, I, it's hard for me to have sympathy for that. And, you know, I know it's been a part of my life, my whole life. So it's, and it's hard for people to make those changes. But if there's any want to make those changes, I mean, and, and, I, I I think people want it, you know. If they're if they're asking you questions or if they're reading anything about it, deep down in them somewhere they want to make a change in their life to be healthier. And uh, so yeah, I I put it out there that it's like you you need to just dedicate yourself to doing some exercise every day. You'll be a better person to everyone around you and to yourself. Yeah, we we totally agree with you on the whole. Um time excuse thing. And as you were talking, it was like, it was coming to me, you know, with, with more awareness as I'm more aware of like what thoughts I'm indulging and, you know, just paying attention. And I'm, I'm about a year behind you as far as years on this earth. And, you know, with, with age, we get wisdom. Um, but this, this excuse of, I don't have time, I don't have time. It's, it's like everything. It's a muscle that's being flexed. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And it's just a habit. And yep. I think that if we can, you know, be out, let's say just get outside, step outside, walk away. If we're feeling like we're hitting walls or we're entangled in something that we can't get out of, just walk outside and take a breath and have a perspective that's, you know, start to flex a muscle of a perspective that's a little zoomed out and saying, oh, right, like I'm creating all of this frustration because I keep buying into the fact that I don't have time. Yeah. And one of the um, habits which um, definitely I think I've been pretty blunt about is uh, the snooze button. And I think that you're going to have my back on the snooze button because <laughs> to me, it's just like, it's whatever. I don't even know how long it is. Six minutes, nine minutes. It, for me, it's just like waiting to be jarred again. Like it just seems like such a punishment, the snooze button. But I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on snooze. Well, that was one of my <laughs> newsletters had a rule that was uh, there is no snooze button. I mean, I don't even really need alarms. Um, I, I think I'm so used. To, I mean, I've been getting up since for 5 a.m. swim practice since I was, you know, 10 years old. And now I, you know, I always thought, oh, when I'm done with college, I'll never have to get up for a morning swim practice again. And then when I'm done with being a triathlete, I'll never get, but I just keep getting up. (laughs) And now it's like, I I don't want to miss the sun coming up. It's gorgeous. And it starts your day. I mean, it's a whole new day. And I think half the world, more than half the world, I think 90% of the world is going through life pretty much asleep. And there's few of us out there that are awake and we kind of live in this state of amazement, you know, half the time. I mean, I walk outside and I'm like, I mean, I, I try and point out to Wilder, you know, she's, you know, bebopping around and, or she's on her iPad or something. I'm like, Wilder, come check out this sunset. It's gorgeous. And 
she does. And all of a sudden I see her face light up and she's like, wow, dad, that's beautiful. And if I can pass that on where she's pointing that out to her friends and, you know, it's just, it's, uh, I mean, I like living in this state of just being in awe of what I'm seeing and everything. It's, it's been a great, uh, little journey for myself. And you know, I'm sure from those readings that you've done and the studies that you've done from, you know, these enlightened masters, which really, if you've done any kind of studying of the Tao, um, you know, Lao Tzu is, is one of the mystics that um, is sharing this wisdom with us is, you know, the more, the more you're grateful, the more you're looking around in awe of, of what is just you know, something I say all the time is like, miracles are normal. They're normal. We're just not choosing to look at them. But the more we look at them, the more miracles I see everywhere, everywhere. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm brought to tears when I'm outside more often than I'd like to admit (laughs) from what I'm seeing or what I'm feeling. Um, You know, you just come across these perfect moments. And if you're not open to even, seeing these perfect moments or being a part of them, then you're never going to experience that. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a great way to live, you know, and, you know, I'm sure there's people are going to roll their eyes at all this, everything I'm saying, but, um, you know, I, I walk around pretty happy. I think that's the temperature gauge right there. Are you happy or not happy with what you do? Well, and it's, it's, uh, everybody deserves to be happy, but you've got to make it happen. You know, you can't think it's just going to come to you. And that's, I think, the whole point of a dedicated life is I'm, I'm dedicated to, to living and being happy and trying to have, you know, happy people around me and just, you know, making that my life. Our time on this earth is short. You know, I'm not going to deny that. And, I, and it, as I get older, it becomes more and more, I think it, you know, you become more and more aware of that and, but it's not, it's not frightening. It's not, I don't fear that. I just, I'm, in, I'm embracing every day that goes by and every moment that I'm here. I think, it, you know, the end of our time here on earth is really only scary if you're not living now. I agree. Uh, definitely. Um, and I think that's a good reminder to people is like, you know, be in the, to be in the moment, um, to enjoy what you're doing. If it, you know, it's, uh, it, I have lived by that rule of if if I if I wake up more than a couple days in a row saying what am I doing then you, you need to make some changes and I you know I had that when I was in college and I was like what am I doing where is this leading and um you know I I pulled the trigger and made some changes and you know I've got <laughs> one of my brothers right now who's you know he's complaining about things and he he could make these changes and I I just I've said dude, it's, it's time, you know, make these changes. And, you know, if Nicole, if she came home from work and bitched about an employee more than, more than twice, I was like, you got to get rid of them. You can't have that around. You, you know, you've got to make, you know, you've just got to be blunt and make these changes because it's just too short to, to have that kind of stress in your life that, you know, causes you to overthink things. Yeah, I think we're chronic overthinkers. And I love your your belief of just, you know, keep things super simple and easy. And and if people are listening to this and they're like, oh well Tim's Tim's got the formula, you know, he's he's 
He's done it. So okay, so you're saying I need to do a thousand push-ups and then I need to go uh, move to Steamboat. <laughs> Damn and- right, a thousand push-ups, <laughs> sit-ups, pull-ups every day, everything. But they're missing the point. The point is like do something, do something, and and if you don't know what to do, start exploring what to do. And it's okay if you fail at first. Um, like you're giving well, people permission. yourself is good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like. Uh, you know, I, I watch my daughter crash on her mountain bike or crash skiing and, you know, and I, I watch it. I'm like, oh, this is so good for her right now. It's like crashing and banging herself and getting a scab. And, you know, my instinct is to run over and hug her, but I'm like, all right, see how she deals with it. And I'm like, this is so good. It's a learning moment. And to scare yourself just makes you more resilient down the road. I mean, I, my brother and I used to go on mountain bike rides and I and wouldn't think it's a good ride unless we both totally got, you know, almost <laughs> crashed or scared. And I kind of live that way now a little bit where it's like, whew, I got a little scared. You know, you get that little burst of adrenaline and it, it just, it feeds your soul so well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> scare yourself sometimes. It's, it's important. We, uh, it's reminding me of this uh, podcast we did, gosh, maybe like a year and a half ago with our, uh, the guy that BJ and I trained with in, in yoga. And he talks about, he does, he's been taking graduate level classes at, um, at Harvard University and they're doing like a lot of study around anxiety and, you know, yoga as a frontline defense and not just yoga, like the gymnastics on the, po- on the, on the map, but like the science of yoga, which is a sophisticated science of the mind. And he talks about in that, like this society of safetyism and how when we were growing up, like it was rough and tumble, you know, like I was out, all I had was boys to play with. And my mother would literally lock the door and say, (laughs) like, when I unlock the door, you can come in. And, um, we have, yes, so, so some people might roll their eyes and look around and say, well, she doesn't understand because she doesn't have kids and look at this, the world, it's so scary. But take a moment, take a breath and zoom out. And if we look, the world is reflecting our belief systems and the world is reflecting what we, what we believe about it. And um, so we have consumed ourselves with the fact that this world is not safe. And so we need to rush over and save people when really the only person we're here to, to save is ourselves. And we have to, we have to experience a little rough and tumble in life um, because we are strong enough to overcome. We are strong enough for it. We, I just don't think that we know how, how powerful and not even strength, but let's talk about power. Like just powerful we are. Um, you know, somebody could look at you and say, oh, well, you know, well, he was world champion. You know, I, I could, I'm not that strong. Like that's, I, I'm not, but the essence of who you are, Tim, is the same as me. And, you know, you, you've been the first to admit, like you weren't a quote unquote, naturally talented athlete, but you were dedicated and you put the time yeah. in and you put the work in and, um, and you believed that, Eventually, those that would yield results, which it did over time. Oh, I had so many like strikes against me going into triathlon, and I mean, I was a boy from Iowa, cornfields. You know, there were no triathlon world champions. They were all California, Australia. You know, that was you know strike one against me. I didn't, I didn't know there were no coaches for me to go. You know, I had to learn everything by failure and then not making that mistake again. Um, mm. But it was. And I didn't have the financial backing. A lot of people, you know, it was like, I, 
asked Nicole when she met me <laughs> what our place was like and and how I lived, and it was sacrifice. And to me, I didn't use that word sacrifice because I was choosing it. So I didn't feel like I was giving anything up. I just I was like, this is the way it is. This is what I'm doing. And you know, if it pays off, it pays off. But I'm in, I'm enjoying it right now. And um, yeah, I mean, I you know, people can say whatever they want that. You know, it's easy for me to look back and say, you know, do this, do this, do this. But, um, you know, my nothing was handed to me. Absolutely nothing. Um, I left home at 18, never went back, never got a penny from my parents after that. Um, left college with eight credit hours left to pursue a dream that I had no right to pursue. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was just, you know, it was a, a, a total dream. That was it. And it worked out simply because I, I committed to it and I never, you know, never let myself doubt that I was doing the right thing after that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think everybody needs a little kick in the pants sometime. I mean, part of the reason we moved to Steamboat was so my daughter could have a free range childhood. Um, she wasn't getting that in Boulder. She couldn't run outside, disappear for five hours and with us feeling safe and, Every time we came to a mountain town, we saw kids her age running around, no parents in sight. And that's the way I grew up. And that's what I want. And I, I want her to, you know, I, I've, it scares me to death to think that someday she might want to move to a big city because I think it's so toxic. But, you know, she might do that. But I'm going to make her a strong little, you know, girl who can handle herself and enjoy the big wide world um, like I do, you know. And, but, uh, too many people live in, in fear of so much and um, I'm guilty of it as well at times. And so it's, it's, you have to be able to step through that fear though and just be like, hey, you know, in most cases, it's not life or death. What's the worst, you know, that can happen? And so it's, if you can think past that and just step through that, that door, I think, you'll, you know, most people would see some things open up to them that they never could even imagine. Well, one, coming this far, Tim, in your life and where you are physically and mentally, um, it, you can't get here without a focus on um, what you're putting in your body, what you're, what you're fueling yourself with, and your, your commitment to um, the highest you know, sources to help you perform. So what, what, has your, what does your nutrition look like? Um, and how important is it to you now um, to fuel yourself properly? Uh, my nutrition has evolved over the years a lot. Um, you know, through college, I you know went through the vegetarian phase, um, and it was a lot of just basic you know <laughs> basic college life. You know, a lot of rice, a lot of a lot of beans, stuff like that. I thought it was healthy. Um, you know, but I don't know. Overall, it wasn't that healthy. Um, as an athlete, uh, definitely moderation and everything was most important. But I, I don't think I could have gotten through the training and the racing I was doing without eating some meat during that time. Um, and I, I didn't eat a lot. It was never a lot of meat, but um, I, you know, it was. I remember I had a system like three nights before an Ironman. I had steak and sweet potatoes, and then after that, no more meat and stuff. But uh, you know, I was. I never had a problem with you know weight or anything like that. For me, it was always keeping weight on. I would have to wake myself up in the middle of the night to have 
a, a protein shake or something so, during heavy training so I wouldn't lose weight. Um, so I, I looked at it as fuel mostly mm-hmm. when I was competing professionally. It was, you know, I had, uh, I think a lot of people put too much mm-hmm. into their nutrition plan, even in races. I think it's gotten too scientific. Because um, I think Ironman, you have to adapt. You, I mean, nothing goes to plan with your diet and Ironman. I mean, <laughs> when the years I won, I was throwing up the whole time. I always hear people like, oh, I was throwing up, my race was ruined. I was like, what? I throw up every time I'm on, you know, on the bike course. It's like, that means you're topped off. It means you're pretty good to go, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it's just gotten so, it's, it's almost like a built-in excuse for people. Instead of going out and training your body to eat a bunch of crap, which is basically what you're doing in an Ironman, um, you know, if you do it properly, you are, you're, you're fueling yourself. And I know it's, I mean, I've worked with Power Bar for years, still work with Power Bar, and it still works. I mean, the science, their science is still the science that works. And, you know, every nutrition company out there, they, I think, you know, it's become this, it's, it's become like everything else. There has to be, it has to be more complex to be more expensive. So more people buy it. And when you could probably get away with much less and much, you know, if you just go out and you train your stomach to handle what's out there. I used to treat, I'd say I needed to train my stomach to be the steel gut. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would finish a bike, a six-hour bike ride, pretty well fueled, and then I'd eat a giant peanut butter and jelly sandwich before I go run, just so I could get a big cramp and have to deal with it. <laughs> you know, it was like okay, I'm, and that, and it was the worst feeling in the world. You got that side stitch for five, six miles, but you're running through it and you're learning how to deal with it because that's what's going to happen in a race. And I think a lot of people that if that happened to them in a race, they'd give up. Um, you know, and it's the same, you know, it's just, it's the, the nutrition side of things is, is gotten a little far-fetched, but getting back to your question about my, you know, Mm. nutrition now, Nicole, (laughs) a few years ago did this experiment for a month. It was her new year's resolution. She's like, for a month, I'm going to try a different diet and see how I feel. And I was like, all right, I'm in it. I'm, I'll do it with you. And <laughs> the first one, I think we went gluten-free and it. It was super easy. We were like, that's easy. And Boulder, gluten-free is like the way of life. And so, and I, and I didn't really notice any difference. I missed my, you know, real bread and stuff like that. But, and pizza sucked when it was gluten-free. But, um, and then we went to maybe vegetarian and we were both pretty much vegetarian anyway. So that was easy. But then she went to vegan. And that one was like first morning I woke up and I said, I can't have that tablespoon of cream in my coffee. You know, I mean, and I, I was like, I'm out. I was studying for finals for my college. And I like looked at my coffee, black, black, black. And I, I mean, I literally just put the little dollop of cream in it. But I said, I'm out. And that, but she carried through and really has taken to the vegan side of things. And she calls herself a Cheegan because she occasionally cheats. With a daughter, you, you pretty much have to cheat sometimes just to get her to eat stuff. Um, so we've pretty much, I would say we're both Cheegans. And I, I, we're 95% vegan. I mean, I, I still put that dollop of cream in my coffee. Um, but if I, if I eat meat, I, I just don't feel right anymore. I used to, I think it really fueled me well, but, but I also feel like I'm missing it sometimes. So it's this kind of, 
balance. Um, like Wilder has started eating cheeseburgers for the first time in her. That was first, she had never eaten meat until we moved to Steamboat. And I think one of her friends got a cheeseburger and she ate it and liked it. So I'll take a bite of her cheeseburger sometimes and one bite tastes great, but then I don't have any more. Um, but I don't look at anything as fuel anymore. I, I look at it as food. I enjoy it. Um, uh, I don't eat that much from what I think my body's so efficient. I've actually been trying to put on some weight. So I try to eat more, try and drink more, like some, some nutrition shakes to just keep that weight on me. But um, for the most part, we, uh, moderation for me is everything. Um, I, I don't overindulge in anything probably but exercise. <laughs> so um, the nutrition side of things, I, I, I say keep it simple. Um, I think there's things out there that can make you feel better, like the, the oolong tea. Uh, go for it. It's good for you. Um, but thinking one diet is going to change your life, that's, that's the big takeaway from all this. Is it, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be that hard. One diet, it, it may change things for a month, but in the big scheme of things, I think moderation is, is the real key takeaway. Yeah, and, and creating a relationship with food where you're aware of what works for you. <clears throat> you know, we've been vegan for a long time, but I'm, I, that's always when people come to us for nutrition counseling or whatever, like it's always about being mindful about, you know, how to, you know, do you really love this one thing? Like, okay, so we're going to add some mindfulness practices to it. Like, how does it feel when it's in your mouth? How does it, how does it smell when you're cooking it? How does it feel when you're, when you're swallowing it. And then how do you feel two hours later? And starting to like, is what I think actually really true? And it's interesting what people discover. Sometimes they're like, yes, it is really true. Okay, great. Keep doing it because that, that's working for you. But a lot of times they realize that just like everything, they've maybe flexed the muscle and it became a habit and it, uh, and it wasn't serving them. They didn't really understand that. Yeah. Relationship with food. I mean, that's the thing. Everybody's very different. Mm. Um, yeah. And so it, it's easy for me to sit back and say, just moderate, don't do anything. But I know people's relationships with food is, is complex and can be very tough on, on them. Um, so yeah. yeah, I don't take it lightly, but for me, it's, it's pretty easy. Well, I love <laughs> I just, that you're, uh, you're sharing about it in A Dedicated Life. And I love that you're out of the cocoon. And I think that people are going to be hearing your voice a lot more because I'm sure there's going to be more podcasts coming after you to share about this. So keep doing it, keep opening. And um, yeah, do you kind of have like a vision for it or you're just like in the moment? You know, I really don't. Um, I'm just, I'm going to see where, you know, I, I wanted to get it out and get it under me, um, but I'm getting a lot of good feedback and um you know, I was where I, I had a couple of, I, I've been into photography for quite a while now since I stopped racing and, um, I've, I've printed up some of my photos kind of artistically on t-shirts and put the word dedicated on it. Mm -hmm. And I wear them and people see them and they definitely want them. So it could lead to something like that. Just, you know, little things like that, because, uh, you know, that one word dedicated doesn't matter what you're dedicated to. It could be dedicated to anything, but be dedicated to something. Um, I think that's kind of the, the whole point of it all is just be dedicated to something and, and find what that word means to you. I mean, to me, it just means, you know, to be in it, be in that moment with something in your life, whether it's your family or, you know, being outside or, you know, your job even just be dedicated to it. And you will, you will, if you enjoy it, you know, 
it'll be you know a much happier life for you. Agreed. How yeah. can um, so I and I also love uh, pull on that. I also love how you have people sign up to receive it um, versus just putting it out there um, to the masses. So how can people sign up to receive um, your this newsletter? You know, it's funny. The only and that was that was intentional mm. was to put it out there that the only way they're going to get it is if someone forwards it to them and there's a subscribe at the bottom or. Uh, the only other spot it's you can find it is on my Instagram page. It's in my bio, and you can find the link there. Uh, my Instagram is just Tim DeBoom, and um, yeah, and that was my. I wanted it to grow very organically, and uh, only pe- like if it, it's cool to see that like my open percentage is like ninety five percent, you know, because it's like if you're going to sign up for it, it means you want to read it, and it it is getting good feedback in that I get lots of notes that are like. I sign up for lots of newsletter, but this is the only one I read, you know, consistently. And um, I think it's just a little different than other newsletters. Um, a lot of people just spit a bunch of information at you, and I've, you know, I've lived a very full, fun life, so I've got a lot of stories. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and a lot of them are good, and a lot of them are, you know, just learning lessons along the way, and to pass those on, maybe somebody will get something out of it. Oh, absolutely! I know we've. I know we've, we've already. Already taken. I've already away started doing some lots of things. Crunches. Yeah, get setups. back. All right. Get back down on the floor. <laughs> exactly. Um, Look out. All right. So you guys, you're going to either have to email us at yogitriathlete at gmail and we'll forward you one of Tim's uh, newsletters, or go check him out. Follow him on Instagram. Tim DeBoom, you're amazing. I'm so glad we had this conversation. You've been in. Uh, like in the outskirts of our life for many, many years as we've known your life, your wife for a long time. And um, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, that our paths will cross again. And uh, Absolutely. You guys have to make your way out to Steamboat. Thank you. Yes, yes. I, think we, yeah. I think we need a Steamboat fix. We've, uh, we love that place and we've got some good friends that live there as well. So thank you so much for yeah. your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys. It's been great. Appreciate it. 